Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Right. So if you if you weren't here last week, um, you might have missed the fact that we're starting the new series, um, the top 10, so on the top 10 commandments. I say top 10 commandments. They are the 10 commandments. Um, but it just reminds me of, say, on the radio where you had the top 10 or they play the top 40. Um, but they drag it out for hours and you start with number 40 and you had to wait and wait and wait while you're recording it all the way through. Some of us, maybe. Um, until you got to number one because you really wanted to know. Um, but actually, last week, Josh started on number one. We got straight to it and we got to the first commandment, which was no other gods. Okay. Um, and so, please stick with us for the rest of the 10. I know we've kind of given you the main piece already, but there is more to come, and it's all worthwhile. And so, what I'm going to look at today is the second commandment. But first off, I just wanted to look at this image that we've used for our slides. And so, you know, when we take um, the Ten Commandments, these were given by God to Moses. And the depiction we have in this imagery of these two tablets is, I don't know if you can see that, but we've got four commandments on the first tablet, six on the second. Now, we don't know if this was actually how it was, but it's something we use a lot today to just start to look at how these commandments are given to us. And part of it is actually that the first four commandments mean one thing, and they're focusing um, where we place uh, the commandments on our relationship with God and the second set of six are looking at our relationship with each other. Now this is often used with the cross as well. We talk about the vertical relationship between us and God then we have the horizontal relationship um, between each of us as believers and all the people around us and so when we look at the first four commandments we really are focusing on that vertical relationship and the number one commandment is the number one commandment. Everything stands on that, that God is one, there is no other God, um, and, and that is the truth. So number two, second commandment, kind of becomes a bit of a sequel or a part B to that. And as we look through, hang on, my notes aren't clicking through. There we go. And so I want to look at the, the relevance of the commandments. And Josh touched on it last week. Um, but I want to bring to light something that John, um, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. And it said, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so what I want to bring to you is that the Ten Commandments, they have this first focus, which is about freedom. It's about our freedom. And there's a couple of clauses in this verse where it says, If you abide in my word... Okay, And then it says, the truth will set you free. Now, the relevance of this for today with the Ten Commandments 
is that the Ten Commandments came after Israel was brought out of slavery. They were brought out of a literal place of slavery within Egypt, and so they were given these commandments to set them free. Yet here we have the Gospels, and Jesus is preaching to the disciples, and he's saying, you still need to be set free. Okay, So everything that we have from the Ten Commandments is still relevant today, and it says in Matthew, I think Josh said it last week, is that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Okay, So the law is not gone, it's not irrelevant, but it is fulfilled ultimately in Christ. And if we abide in his word, the truth will set you free. Jesus is always here. It came out in a prayer meeting this morning that Jesus is always there. He's inhabiting our presence. He's inhabiting our lives and our hearts. But we have to abide with him. And that is the clause you know, in this relationship is that we get freedom when we step back into God's presence. And so that's the first point, freedom. Now, there's a couple of promises that you know, God gives us. God gives Abraham kind of a major promise um, that his descendants, his inheritance, his heirs will kind of number the stars and will fill the earth. And then we have Moses who is told that, okay, you've got to take the people into the land. So God's establishing a people for his promise. He's establishing a people and he's giving them a place, a place to call home. And when we live in this place, we live in community, it's not always easy. Um, you think about family dynamics. Everyone, most people, I found out, in their family have arguments. Now, I, I say this as a revelation, because actually for me this was a revelation. Um, I, no, none of my brothers or sisters can recall one time my parents disagreed. Now, I don't know if they just didn't do it in front of us, but we never heard it, we never saw it. Um, So, when I got married, was I in for a surprise. Um, Amanda, my wife, her family, um, they're very much a heart feel, laid out on the table, you know where you are, you know where you stand, and Amanda's right in that mould, and I'm in a, okay, just keep it quiet, bottle it up. If you don't think it's good, just brush it away. Keep it to the side. Um, but in family, with dynamics, we have hard times. We have tough times. And, you know, when we grow up, it gets hard to live under our parents' laws. We kind of go, okay, I think I've got a handle on life now. I want to do my own thing. And so we go out, we leave the home, we fly the nest. Um, once your mother finally releases you. Um, and you go flatting. And for me, this was... An interesting time. Uh, straight out of home, went to uni, and most of us, you know, it was the first time away from home. So we're all going about doing our own thing, living our own lives. Um, no set of rules, no boundaries, no ground rules. And then you find out that people don't think or behave the way you do or the way you want them to. We had guys who I lived with who were just absolutely filthy, never cleaned up after themselves, never washed up. You know, you have to keep washing their dishes, their pans, so you could have something to use. Um, It got to a point where I bought my own cutlery, my own bowls, my own pots and pans, hid them in my room. But there was another guy who thought, okay, if it's in the house, it's fair game. So he'd wander into your room, he'd take your pots and pans because there was nothing clean. Um, He'd borrow your laptop, he'd take your 
pair of your socks because he had nothing clean left to go. And then there was a guy who had absolutely no boundaries. And when he used to go to the toilet, he used to leave the door open because he just wanted to be involved. Um, now, in our first flat, the toilet, the door was next to the kitchen. And so you'd walk from your room to the kitchen to have some breakfasts. And he's having his morning routine. And you quickly turn back. You go and get some fresh air again. <laughs> then you've got to run through to the kitchen, open the window, because you need to eat at some point and you want it to be a pleasant. He's just there, hi guys, how are you doing? Great morning. So what do we have to do? We had to set some ground rules. We had to set some boundaries. <sighs> He'd already paid his rent. Couldn't, couldn't kick him out. Um, and that's the thing, like, Ten Commandments, they're setting ground rules. Because when you don't have these rules, we came into slavery in our own home. You know, for one reason or another, you start to hide into your room. You start to retract from the people around you because you feel hurt. You feel uneasy. You don't feel you have any peace because you're so stressed out or anxious about all these people doing things that you just can't live in that scenario. So although everyone's got the ultimate freedom... As we say, and as we, you know, it's built today, you do exactly what you want. Do what you want. That's what the culture is saying today, and that is freedom. But in that, there is no freedom in community. If, you are, if we were solely people to be solitude and to be alone, it would be fine. But we're not made to be alone. We're made to live with others. We're made to live in a community of believers, a community of people that... Respond to God. And to do that, we need to agree some ground rules. And that is where the Ten Commandments take us. That is the first step of setting these ground rules so that God's people can live in this place, live in this home, and they have unity. They have unity and togetherness because they're agreeing to live by these sets of rules. And that unity is what gives us our ultimate freedom. Okay? And today, we have that through Christ. Christ died. When he died on the cross, the curtain tore. The walls in the temple that separated the, the holy place, the place of God and people outside, was torn down. There is no longer a barrier between us and God. That vertical relationship that we're talking through in these first four commandments is open. It's open for all of us to go directly to him. And this is the point of the second commandment. Exodus 20, verse 4 to 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So last week, there is no other God. There is one God that is Yahweh, that is the Israel's name for God. That's his name given. And this was an issue for Israel because it was about worship. When Israel came out of Egypt, they went into the land of Canaan. And God's setting this rules in motion that the number one thing is that there's one God. 
For the previous years, they've been in slavery in Egypt. Many gods, many gods in Egypt. And the common thing was that you have idols, you have images of these gods. They all have different functions. And so you go to this image and you present your request, you present your prayers to the image. Because there is no relationship directly with the God, you go through this image. And it's the same in Canaan. When they come through the Canaanite religions, one of the common gods you'll hear throughout the Old Testament is the, the god Baal, who's also referred to as Lord in that land. He's the god of thunder. He's the god of fertility. And so you can see there's a point where God's got to come in and say, look, there is no other god. I am it. All these people around you, they may be worshipping other idols, other images, but you have me and you come directly to me. You don't go through anything else. You don't go through anyone else. You come to me. So we must not get distracted into false worship. And that is what the first four commandments are. They're all about our worship. The first commandment is who we worship. It directs our worship to God. The next three are talking about how we worship. It's putting in the ground rules of how we worship and, in this case, how not to worship. Jesus, God also makes the point um, in Exodus 19, before he uh, gives out the commandments, verse 4 it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So this is referring to you know, the, the plagues in Egypt and God's just assertion of his power over Pharaoh. You know, the question was, is, okay, is your God the real God? Is he the true God? And yes, he is. He controls all of creation. No other God has that control. No other God has that power to rule over every part of creation. But our God does. And he did that. And that's why we give our worship up to him. When we look at worship a little bit more, we're going to start to look at what it is. Firstly, in the English, it means worship. Okay, that's how it's originally kind of said. Something worthy, worthy of honor, worthy of reverence. So I'm just going to break down kind of a couple of these words. We have honor, giving valuable reward or respect. Okay, so something is worthy, it has honor, it is valuable, we respect it. The reverence in worship, high respect, comes with a kind of a divine fear or amazement, but there's a sense of the supernatural. So when we worship, we're looking at something being worthy of our praise, something being worthy of our respect, okay? It's divine, it's amazing, it's above us, it's beyond us. You know, it's not bound by our thoughts, our rules. So we have reverence to something that is bigger than us. And then respect, deep admiration, high regard, or, you know, some definitions say kind of consideration of feelings or wishes. So when we look at our worship to God, are we giving God our admiration? Are we giving him all our considerations? Do we consider his feelings, his wishes, with decisions we're making? Are we considering him in the actions we're taking? 
So I want to bring a couple of things that I think are prominent today in terms of where our focus of worship might be. If we're getting distracted, no carved images, no idols. In Egypt, in Canaan, it was a literal thing of gods of worship. But today, we have other areas that we place our reverence on, that we place our consideration on. Money. Money is a big one. Money in itself inherently is not wrong. But what do we do with it? What is our desires for money? Sometimes we go after it. We chase it. We want money and we want it for ourselves. We want luxury. We want security. We want to have the best life we can. Now, that's not entirely a bad thing. You know, money's good. And it can be sensible to store up money or to make enough money to support your family. But there comes a point where we switch over and suddenly our focus or our motivation for money becomes wrong. Our motivation becomes for things, becomes what do we want? What can I take? How much can I get? You know, I want to be a millionaire. I can't spend all that money, but I just want to be a millionaire. And that leads on to the second thing. Maybe it brings status. Career, work, success. What do we want? We can focus ourselves on our career. We can focus on you know, how high we want to perform. We want to succeed. We want to be so well respected. We want to be top of the food chain. We want to be top dog. But is our focus solely for us to be at the top? Is our focus for us to be just the best we can be because that's personally what I want. It's for me to be the best. Again, what's your focus of that? Does it detract? Is it, does it become excessive of your time? Is it excessive to the expense where you succeed at the, you know, the point that it takes time from your family? It takes time from your friends. It takes time from your relationships because we are in community. We are part of this people. So if our career, if our work, if our striving for success is taking us away from everybody else in our lives, then that is not the point. God does not want us to be separated from him or from each other. So relationships. <clears throat> this is one that probably speaks to me the most. You know, we always say that you know, the primary relationship here we're talking about is between us and God. But that can be difficult. We can't always feel God. We can't see God. We can hear him. Maybe not in the same way that we can hear our friends, hear our spouses. And so I know as a married man, my wife Amanda, it was in our vows, you know, God is number one in our lives. God is the centerpiece. He is the binding point of our relationship. He's a binding point of our marriage. Okay, And so in all things, he is above us, our grievances, um, our differences. Now I give that lip service here right now, but that is much harder to actually do in reality. Um, so many times I 
you know, I forget about God in what we're doing in our world, in our relationships, because Amanda's right there. I can hear her, touch her, feel her. You know, she's tangible. And so often we put our focus on the tangible things in our lives because we feel that's easier. Now, there's times, you know, when I don't always do the best thing or the right thing. And so we have a breakdown. Sometimes I, you know, do things wrong. Or we have a Barney and we just feel kind of separated. Um, and so what do I do? I don't take myself in that relationship and go, right, I know what I need to do. I need to go directly to Amanda. I need to apologise. I need to make this right. Um, I might go, okay, Amanda's out of work. What can I do to ease this better? I'm going to clean the house. That's always a good start. I'm even going to do the toilets. Now, I was going to say, I might even buy flowers. Then Amanda said, I can't really say that because I think I've only done it once. Um, but if you're also like me, you know, you're not very good at giving words of encouragement. You're not very good at affirming people or just showing that love verbally. That's what might be a way that I do it. Because I know, you know Amanda's love language is very strongly with words of affirmation. So she'll come home from work. And I'm just like, oh, dear, you're amazing. I love you. I'm so thankful for all the work you do. I'm so thankful for, you know, providing for us and supplying the money in this relationship in this time. And Amanda looks at me and goes, what's up? <laughs> Nothing. No, I'm all good. Well, maybe I should say sorry. Um, and that should have been my first point. My first point was, should have been, okay, I'm sorry. And that, but I went to other things. I distracted myself and thought, okay, if I do this thing, if I do that thing, you know, I'll weaken the defences and then it'll make it easier. Maybe I might not have to say sorry. Maybe I can avoid the conversation completely just by being good. But that's not how relationships work. And that's the same with God. We take everything to God. We take our words, our prayers directly to God because there is no barrier. There is no veil. There is no curtain dividing us. There's nothing that we can do to get us closer to God. All we can do is offer ourselves to him. Okay? So in that relationship, we offer God everything. And in our relationships with each other, with our spouses, with our family, our friends, whatever's happening, we offer that to God. And so, you know, the last point is time. When was the last time you said, oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. When am I going to find time? Rubbish. Everyone has time. How do you split your time? What do you give value to with your time? Do you value your time with God enough to say, Lord, I'm going to spend five minutes. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray to you because that's going to strengthen me. With worship, we can have personal worship, we can have public worship. Often we think of worship in our songs, in our praise, and we do that together on a Sunday morning. Um, we might do it in kind of the prayer meetings. We had the first prayer meeting last Tuesday night, and that was awesome. We sung, we prayed together. But it can also be personal. And you can pray, you can read the word, you can make that a discipline in your life just to spend that time. It might just be five minutes. It might be two minutes. It might be one psalm. Maybe pick one of the short ones. So it will be two minutes. Some of them might take you ten. 
but it just positions yourself in a place that you can get closer to God. Okay? And so we focus our time. Even if you're busy, you know, we talk about there can be a benefit to quiet time. There can be a benefit to stillness where you just sit and you are one with God. The benefit of that is that as well as you speaking to God, you get an opportunity to hear back. You get an opportunity to learn what God has for you in your life and you get an opportunity for him to speak back to you. So the stillness and quiet is very relevant for that. But you can be doing other things and you can still pray. You can still often offer up what it is you're going through to God. You might, you might be driving, you might be at work doing something else, but you can bring God into that situation. And that's the same with each of these things. Each of these things that can be barriers or idols in our life that detract or distract us from the real worship and giving respect and consideration to God can be how we, you know, how we worship God. Money. Money's not bad. But we can turn that into generosity. We can turn that into our tithe because we can offer up our excess to, to God. We can offer up our excess to people who have a greater need than us. So what you chase for with your money, you might get to a point where you've been idolizing that and you've got stacks of it. And you might go, actually, I don't need that. I don't need all of it. Okay? Turn that idol into worship. Be generous. Be generous. Give to others so that they can have the same opportunities that you do. Your career or your work can be service. When we work, God gives us all passions. He gives us all interests. We all have different gifts. God places us in our work. He places us in our positions. And so everything that we do is worship to God. He knows what our own skills are. He knows what we desire and he wants to use that for good. One, to worship him, but also to give to others. So turn your work, turn your career into servitude to him. Beginning of your day, you might be driving to work and just say, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your provision of work. Thank you for all that you've given me, all the gifts that you've given me to be able to do this. All these skills. Lord, I will use these in your name today, however you want me to. You don't have to know exactly how God wants you to use them, but you're putting your place of work in the position of worship to God. Our relationships, consider God in our relationships. They can be acts of discipleship. Discipleship is encouragement, encouragement for us in the church as believers that we can teach, we can get alongside people, we can encourage each other, okay? We become slow, slow to get angry, slow to judge, slow to question people. But we become quick to encourage, we become quick to find the positives in people, and we become quick to pray for others. Our relationships become our worship when we again, we intercede for people, we pray for people on their behalf. 
then with time, it's just personal growth. Turning your time for those around you and for yourself, take that time for you.